is because you can basically invest in anything within that solo 401k entity. So I'm talking real estate. I'm talking, you could be an angel investor for different companies. You can buy, you know, cryptocurrencies. Like there's literally so many things you can do within that solo 401k. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hey, everyone. Just real quick before we get started, just wanted to mention that this is not investment advice. This is not legal advice. This is not tax advice. Justin and I are just two guys who are figuring out things for our own situations, and this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. But let's get on to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. In today's episode, Justin and I are going to talk about two tax advantage strategies that we learned a ton about in the past couple years. And for him, this is the mega backdoor Roth through his traditional employer. And for me, it's the solo 401k and Roth solo 401k as someone who earns active self-employment income. But before we get into that, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Well, this past weekend was the end of our option period, which uh, if you don't know what an option period is, that's kind of where you got to make that decision, right? I don't know if you're going to actually buy that house. And if you're wondering like, hey, Justin, we never even knew you were looking to buy a house. It is a very recent development. It was like three weeks ago, there was a domino of effects between a rent rising in a small place, looking to go to a larger place, comparing what that rent would be looking at all the businesses that are moving to Austin, yada, 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 yada. And uh, so we just decided let's go ahead and get a place that we love and know that we can kind of set that baseline. Like, hey, this is the worst case scenario forever because our mortgage will never go up. It may not be like we're buying at the most opportune time or whatever, but we can afford it. And we know if we can afford it now, we can afford it forever. That was kind of the decision-making process. But anyway, it's super exciting. Obviously my first home, so I'm pumped, love the house. So yeah, that's what my world has been revolved around the whole last week is this home buying process. Well, that's exciting stuff, man. Do you know when the closing date is or when the estimated closing date is at least? September 21st. September 21st. Oh, okay. You might need someone to break in the guest room for FinCon. (laughs) (laughs) We actually have ACL in Austin um, actually just after FinCon, like two weeks after. So I think the plan is to stay in the little apartment so we're close to downtown all the way through ACL, which would be mid-October, and then kind of relocate down instead of trying to handle all the conferences and festivals in the middle of a move-in process. Fair enough. Fair enough. So this past Thursday, actually, was my brother Sam's birthday. So we did a big birthday dinner. It was fun celebrating his 24th. The weekend was supposed to be full of all these, you know, sun-filled events. We had this big cookout planned on Saturday. We had this river tubing thing planned on Sunday. But the rain, the hurricane, in fact, had other plans for us. We did, in fact, still have the party on Saturday and had some tents set up. Still a good time. River tubing got canceled. The river was just too high. And I guess at that point, it becomes unsafe because it's like rapids instead of just like a chill river cruise. So maybe we'll do that later on. I'm not sure. It's starting to get a little bit colder. If not, we'll hopefully plan something for next year. But I think it's time to get into the meat of the episode. So, Justin, I think it would make sense for you to kick it off first because I'm guessing, actually, this would be an interesting poll to see what percentage of our audience has, you know, traditional W-2 jobs, which percentage of them have the W-2 and a side hustle, and which percent of them are just straight up entrepreneurs. But, you know, my gut tells me most of the people probably have a W-2 and maybe some side hustles. So let's start with the mega backdoor Roth. And just, I know you've given a million presentations to people. You are the mega backdoor Roth guy. When it comes to work, they're just like, go talk to Justin. He's going to hook you up. He's going to tell you what to do. 
you know, can you walk us through just from a high level how the whole thing works, how people can get set up? Well, I think like one thing that's interesting to go over first is kind of thinking about why is it called the mega backdoor Roth? Like people are like, what is the mega part? And it's because there's a, a regular backdoor Roth in the IRA form, which is more common. Like more people know about that than the mega backdoor Roth, which is done through a 401k. So the regular backdoor Roth in the IRA form is for people who earn too much money to be able to contribute to a Roth IRA. So their only option is a traditional IRA. But the traditional IRA is really not that helpful because they can't take the tax deductions from it because, again, they make too much money and they just don't qualify. So what they can do is they can just contribute straight to their traditional IRA. They're getting no real benefits from it tax-wise. But then they can just, for the simple click of a button in Vanguard, they can convert it to a Roth IRA. And this sounds very tax fraudy when you explain it to someone but it's not. It's it's legal, and it doesn't make any sense why you can't just contribute straight to your Roth IRA. But that's where that backdoor idea comes from, and that's the regular, which kind of just starts to help people get their head wrapped around the mega part. So for the mega part, now we're talking about a 401k. And some of the building blocks of either whether it's an IRA or 401k is understanding the difference between a Roth and a traditional account. And so for those who don't know, Roth would be accounts that you've already paid payroll taxes on. So when you get your check, the taxes have already been taken out of that money. It goes into the Roth account. That way it can grow without the earnings being taxed in the future. It also means that you can touch that principal. The principal is the money that you put in versus the money that it, you know, necessarily what it says in your account, which includes the earnings at any age. So you don't have to wait till you're 59 and a half or any of that kind of stuff to touch the principal of a Roth account. With traditional, it's a little different because it's not taxed from your payroll going in, but the earnings are taxed on the way out. And it does have a little bit stronger age restrictions because you can't touch the principal without doing some other methods that we can talk about on another podcast. And that's what everybody thinks about. They think about these two main buckets, pre-tax, aka traditional, and Roth. I'm going to refer to the traditional as pre-tax through most of today, even though I think most people think about it as traditional, but it, it just kind of helps with the nomenclature. And a lot of 401ks will actually call it pre-tax instead of calling it traditional. If your company allows this, and that's another important thing, just simply telling everyone about the existence of a mega backdoor 401k or a mega backdoor Roth doesn't mean you can do it. Two things have to be true. Your company has to offer you a third bucket. So you've got the pre-tax, you've got the Roth. You also need this bucket called after-tax. And we'll get into that in a second, but you need that. The other thing you need to be able to do is these in-service transfers. Sometimes they're called a couple different things, but basically if those two things are true, then now you've got the keys to do this. And now you just need to kind of understand what you're doing. So I mentioned that after-tax bucket, and that's the key here. Because people think that the max amount of money that you can put into a 401k is like that $19,500 number which isn't completely true. That's not the whole story. So that's how much money you can put between the first two buckets. The first two buckets being pre-tax and Roth. And those are the two buckets that your company match is based off of. But you can still put more money in that after-tax bucket. The total amount of money that you can actually put in a 401k for 2021 is 58000 but now you got to think about these limits a little differently. So, you know, we just said it's 19500 for the first two buckets, pre-tax and Roth. 
And then we said it's 58 for the whole, but there's a little bit of nuance because 58 for the whole includes the company match. The 19.5 limit for the first two buckets doesn't. So how you figure out how much money can go in your after tax is pretty simple. See, you take how much money that you've put in your pre-tax and Roth, that max of 19.5. Then you add in however much company match you have, get that number, subtract it from 58,000. So say you put in 19.5 and say with, with your company match, that brings you all the way up to 28,000. Then that means you still have $30,000 you can put into the after-tax bucket. Now, the after-tax bucket, you might be saying, hmm, after-tax, isn't that the same thing as Roth? No, because after-tax, the earnings are also taxed. And when people hear that, they're like, well, what is the point? It sounds like a brokerage account. Well, the point is it gives you another vehicle to get the money into the 401k from your paycheck, which is the only way you can get money into the 401k. You can't just wake up one day and say, hey, I got some extra cash. Let me throw this in here. It needs to come from payroll. So now that the money is in there and remembering those options your company needs to offer, one of which being that kind of in-service transfer, you can take that money from the after-tax bucket and have it automatically put into your Roth bucket, which now allows the earnings to grow tax-free still gives you those same benefits of being able to touch that principal at any age. One caveat with that is some plans offer two different kind of versions of this mechanism for a mega backdoor. One is converting that money automatically from the after-tax 401k into a Roth IRA. If that is true, then generally you can touch the money even while you're still employed, regardless of age. But some companies, depending on how their mechanisms work, it can only go into the Roth 401k and their plans may not allow you to take money out while you're still employed. So you wouldn't have those age restrictions, but you may have to wait until you're no longer with the company to be able to touch the money in the Roth account that you've rolled that after-tax money into. And so I just want to pause you there, Justin, talking about contribution limits for a second. So when it comes to the voluntary after-tax, is there any type of functions or limits or things we should know about? No, I mean, no matter how high you set those limits and no matter what you make, it's not going to stop you. So it doesn't, you don't have to make a certain amount. Like it's not saying you can only put 20% of your overall income or 30% of your overall income into this bucket. It has nothing to do with how much you make. One caveat I will say though, that people should be careful about. It's important to remember that you can end up with a $0 paycheck, even if you don't necessarily put a hundred percent, you know, added up total percentages here. Like let's say you put 60% into the after-tax and you'd put 20% in the traditional, which obviously is like super aggressive. And you think, okay, that's fine though. I can live off 20% of my paycheck. It doesn't really work that way because they take taxes off the top. They take the HSA all based off your gross salary. And then they're going to start doing these other things. So I learned that the hard way. I'd set my stuff at like 75% or something like that. And I got no paycheck. I got $0 paycheck. I thought maybe it would take out the taxes, all that stuff, come up with a number and then take 70% of that. But it didn't. It takes 70% of the gross, just the same way your taxes come off the gross. So just be careful of that. And so how do you go about tracking that, Justin? Like, do you have a spreadsheet that you're making sure you don't over contribute to one of these buckets or? Well, that's an awesome thing. I mean, especially, you know, our provider at work is Fidelity and everything is just so foolproof. You can't over contribute to a specific bucket from my research, seem to be one of the best providers for this kind of thing because they do offer that automatic version. So I don't have to call and say, 
hey, I want to roll over my after tax. It just happens every time it, it, it hits after tax. I've already told them I want it automatically put into my Roth account, and it does. So because the reason that's important, A, from a time perspective, like I don't want to have to call 1-800 number every two weeks. Also, you have to remember that if you let money sit in that after tax, it gets interest and like appreciates and it's worth more money now, right? You've got this profit. And when you go to roll that over or put that into that Roth account, that's a taxable event and you would have to pay taxes on the difference. So when it's automatic like that, you know that no matter what happens, if it goes up the very next day, you don't have to worry about paying taxes on any earnings because there are no earnings outside of the Roth account. So you mentioned your employer uses Fidelity, and I'm sure there's a lot of these brokers or services that kind of allow for the strategy we're talking about right now, the negative back to a Roth. I'm guessing it's just like any other brokerage account where you don't just fund the account and leave it. Like you actually have to invest the money in something, right? And how do you go about doing that? Yeah. So with us, and I think is what's pretty common is it's going to be the exact same investment selections that you would have for your normal 401k. So, you know, you you should have options for things like an S&P 500 and overall, you know, index, a small cap, large cap, you know, those sort of things. Generally, you're not going to see the option to do, you know, invest in Apple or what have you, like individual companies. It's generally going to be some type of funds or sectors. It's generally not like individual companies. You can't invest in just anything you want to. It's not like going on to Vanguard and typing any any ticker symbol you want. But it, it should match one-to-one exactly with what you can put in your, what you were used to with your normal 401k, even if you haven't done this before. One other little nuance that is true that I think is important to cover, even if you're not doing the after-tax, just in 401ks in general, but it still just comes up a lot of times when we talk about this, is when people think about what their company can match, they think about either a percentage or a dollar value. And so like for us, it's $9,000 a year. But it's not quite that simple. So it's, it is $9,000 a year, but it's also $2,250 a quarter is the max. So what happens when you get really aggressive and you've already hit your full $58,000 max in June, right? So you don't get those last two quarters. You're thinking, I'm going to miss out on $4,500 if I do this. Like, I really got to time this out. That's something to like check in with like your finance team. Our company, and I think it's true for most companies, do what I would consider like a true up. So it means that you won't miss out on making that $4,500, but you will likely have to wait until like the 1st of January of the next year before they get around to figuring everything up and paying you like looking back retroactively. And so the only fear there is right. If you're not a hundred percent sure if you're going to be with the company come January, then it might be worth doing a little math, tracking, and not over-contributing too early in the year and spreading that out so that you get not only the max overall match, but that max every quarter. So that way, if you decided to quit the company in September, that you didn't miss out on the Q3 match. All right. So I'm going to attempt to give a quick summary of everything you just explained, Justin. Thanks for doing that. Okay. So you have the two buckets. You have the Roth or the traditional or what you call the pre-tax and the Roth. Within those two buckets, you have the, in 2021 anyway, you have the $19,500 limit. And so that could be, you could throw it all in your Roth, the 19.5, you could throw it all in a traditional, or you could mix and match. I don't know when mixing and matching might make sense, but I guess you could do that. But those buckets, those have the 19,500 cap. So after I max out that 19.5, those first tier buckets that you're talking about, now I have the option to contribute after tax. And this is if my company allows for it. I've actually heard of people kind of asking their HR department, 
hey, is this something that you guys can offer or change the plan around? I think I've heard that in a podcast before, some people having success with HR or whoever makes those decisions. So one thing, Cody, right there, as far as just, it's just a small nuance, but it actually can be different between companies is, you know, you mentioned once you max those out, then you can do the after tax. So before we were bought out by our current company, that's exactly how it worked. But now with our new company, it's interesting. Actually, they allow you to do it simultaneously. Like you can contribute to both at the exact same time. Again, like not really sure like why you would need to do that, but you can. And one reason why you might want to do that is, again, if you're trying to be sure that you don't over contribute on that company match, so you're not putting in just too much into those first two buckets, but you still want to put a bunch in like front load the year, then you can go heavy in the after tax and a little lighter in the traditional and Roth to kind of space it out. Just that's an option. Like there are scenarios where you can do both at the same time. Okay, cool. I appreciate you correcting me on the nuance there. Okay, so let me rephrase that. So while I'm building up, hopefully you're going to max out this 19.5. I can either, depending on my company, at the same time contribute to this voluntary after-tax account, or maybe if the company doesn't let me until afterward, I do it afterward. Once I get the money in this voluntary after-tax account, now I'm doing what you called like an in-service transfer, I think was the terminology we used. And that's basically just moving the money from the after-tax account, which is kind of like a brokerage account, into your Roth. And at that point, that's not a taxable event nothing really happens. It's just getting it into the Roth. It's kind of a playing within the rules, but it's just something really cool when it comes to minimizing taxes, especially down the road and, you know, minimizing the capital gains you're paying on those earnings. So depending on how much you contribute to your after tax, but let's use the example of the 19.5 in 2021, you can contribute up to 38,500 in that after tax account. I'm getting the math there from 58,000, which is the total max minus the 19.5. And so then at the end of the year, if you do all this correctly and you do max out that voluntary after tax, you would have $58,000 sitting in that Roth account. Is that correct? The only nuance I would add there is, again, when we think about the $19,500 limit, it's very simple for us. We don't care what the company is matching. We can just put in $19,500. With like the scenario you just mentioned, it's generally not that simple because most people are going to get a 401k match. So you can't just look at it and say, well, now I can put in 38.5 into my after tax because you have to say that 38.5 minus whatever your company is matching because the company match actually does matter now. So if you put in 19.5 and your company matched 9,000, then I think you're looking at 29.5 that you can actually put into the after tax bucket. Awesome. Alrighty. Well, I just learned a lot about the Mega Bacto Roth. Thank you for the presentation, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I wish I had a whiteboard for the the podcast, but I don't think we figured that one out quite yet. Not yet. We'll definitely throw some helpful stuff in the show notes for people who are interested in digging in more and seeing how they can use this in their own personal finance strategy. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor, Posty. In the competitive world of advertising, marketers are always looking for an edge to accelerate growth, reach new customers, and get measurable results. Today, they're turning to the best kept secret in marketing, direct mail reinvented for the digital world by Posty. Posty has transformed direct mail, aka physical mail, by adding all of the direct marketing capabilities found in channels like Facebook, Google, and YouTube, Email marketing has honestly become a huge strategy in a lot of my online businesses, and I was blown away at how similar Posty's platform was to some of these other digital email service providers. You can target people based on their behavior on your website. You can target people based on purchase history. You can target people based on demographics, location, all of this amazing stuff in Posty's platform. 
Posty basically allows you to run direct mail like a digital marketer. Hurry and get your free Posty demo today by visiting posty.com slash fyshow. That's posty.com slash fyshow for a free Posty demo. Posty, P-O-S-T-I-E, direct mail reinvented for the digital world. Alrighty, so I think it's time now for me to talk about something I've learned a whole lot about this past year, and this is the Solo 401k. Specifically, what I've been using anyway with my strategy is a Roth Solo 401k. So let me just start this off. A lot of people, and Justin and I were talking about this before we hit record here, think that, hey, you know, maybe my company doesn't offer a 401k. I'm just going to open a solo 401k and start funding that thing. You know, maybe I can use the same strategy, max it out and get the 58,000. Might not work exactly like that. So the first question you have to ask yourself when you are going to set up a solo 401k, or some people also call this a self-employment 401k, is do you have self-employment income? What this means, so it doesn't matter if you operate as a sole proprietor, a single member LLC, you could be a member of a partnership LLC, you could have an S Corp, like there's so many different ways that this can work. But basically, for me anyway, I have some partnership LLCs, and so I receive a K-1 on those. And so I'm looking on line 14A for self-employment income. And you know, I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds of what lines we're looking on, but just for those who are interested and really want to dig into this, that's kind of how you figure that out. Or if you receive a 1099 and you're self-employed and you have active self-employment earnings, that's really important. You cannot contribute like earnings from rental real estate or other passive income things. Like you couldn't use capital gains or, you know, your stocks have appreciated and you want to sell them and use that to fund your 401k. No, it has to be active self-employment income. So that's the first thing. And I'm actually going to share an article in the show notes that basically, you know, check this out and you can see do I qualify for active self-employment income? Once you do that, you have to pick a solo 401k provider. So unfortunately, you don't have a company that's already set this up for you. You kind of have to do all the legwork, but let me tell you, it is totally worth it if you kind of check the boxes for the self-employment income and you can figure out how to use this in your own strategy. So I ended up going through this company called mysolo401k.net. They're not a sponsor of the show, but I'm definitely going to talk highly of these guys because they've just made the process super easy. They're really helpful. So basically what I did is kind of what we were just talking about, Justin, I established three accounts and, you know, I won't get into the weeds here, but a lot of these companies actually partner with banks. So I had, I have three accounts with Charles Schwab, which, you know, you're like, what the heck are you talking about? You just named this company, mysolo401k.net, but I'll, I'll just kind of tell you my full situation. Cause this is how a lot of those companies do it. Cause a lot of these companies that are doing this kind of solo401k stuff, aren't banks or, you know, some of them aren't banks, especially the ones where you can make more creative investments. So I have these three accounts with Charles Schwab. I have a pre-tax, I have an after-tax, and I have a Roth. The same three accounts you just talked about, Justin, just with solo 401k income, the active self-employment income I mentioned before. So the reason I set this up, my goal is I just want to shove as much money as I possibly can into these tax advantage vehicles. Just like you mentioned, Justin, like I want to get that 58,000 in any way that I can. So at first I was actually looking into, just for some context, I was looking into you know funding maybe a pre-tax 401k funding the 19,500. And I was like, you know what? I'll also contribute 38,500 as the employer. Many self-employed and people might know that with a solo 401k, a traditional solo 401k anyway, you can contribute 19,500 as the employee of your own business. And there's a lot of nuances and caveats that I'm not going to get into. I'm definitely not an expert. You can also contribute 38,500. So that same $58,000 limit applies as the employer. And I guess that's why I wasn't thinking about the employer match, Justin, when I was doing the math earlier, because you're typically not getting an employer match when you're the employee and the employer, <laughs> unless you just want to you know, be nice to yourself and somehow incorporate that into the wording of how you're getting paid. <laughs> but 
the nuance with this is if you're contributing as the employer, and I'll get into kind of the mega backdoor Roth 401k strategy in a second, you can only contribute less than or equal to 20% of your self-employment income. So in 2021, that means you'd have to make 192,500 in self-employment income, active self-employment income, in order to max out those two buckets, to max out the employee, like the traditional pre-tax or Roth, and then from the employer side of things. So that's a lot of money. I'm guessing that most people probably don't hit that 192,500 mark. So I started looking at other strategies, like how can I do this even easier? How can I lower the barrier to maxing out these accounts? And that's where I found the Roth solo 401k, where it's very similar actually to the strategy that Justin outlined. So with a Roth solo 401k, you have those same two buckets that we just talked about. So in my specific situation, I'm contributing as the employee, the self-employed employee, I'm contributing the 19,500. You could also contribute to a traditional if you want. But this is where it gets interesting. And this is kind of the mega backdoor stuff Justin just talked about. You also have the voluntary after tax. And so this is completely different from the employer contributions that I was just mentioning that has the 20% self-employment compensation cap. Voluntary after tax, all you have to do is earn the exact amount of money, just like Justin had mentioned in that traditional job. So if I earn 58,000 exactly, literally 58,000 exactly in self-employment income, even if I have another W-2, that another caveat that I'm not contributing to whatsoever, I could max out my solo 401k account. Like you could literally put every single dollar you earn, which is just insane. And then same exact thing. It's uh, after you contribute the money to that voluntary after-tax account, you basically do the in-service. I've never heard that exact term, the in-service transfer. But yeah, you just you transfer it over to that Roth account. And then boom, you have potentially $58,000 sitting in that account from potentially only $58,000 in self-employment income. Crazy powerful way to max out those contributions. And I haven't even got to the best part, which is what you can invest in through these vehicles. So basically, if I'm hearing you right, as long as you are aware of and comfortable with this whole idea of uh, the mega backdoor where you're putting in after tax and transferring it over, it literally does not make any difference to you whether you make $58,000 or the $192,000. Yeah. So if you did want to go the employer contribution route, you would have to earn that $192,500. This is in 2021 in order to max out everything, like to get the full $58,000 in your 401k plan for that year. But yeah, with the strategy I'm talking about, all you have to earn is the dollar amount that you're contributing. There's no percentages. There's nothing like that. So you could earn $58,000 in theory and put $58,000 in if you have some other source of income, maybe that's supplementing the cost of your lifestyle. I will mention one caveat is that if you are side hustling and you have that full-time job and you are contributing to any other type of 401k at work, the employee bucket will be filled by like your employee contributions, what we just talked about, that bucket one and bucket two, Justin mentioned, that Roth and traditional. And then if your employer is matching, then you have to also have to be cognizant of that. And you know we could really get into some complicated scenarios here, but it's just worth mentioning that if you are someone who has a side hustle or multiple side hustles and a W-2, it's going to get a little bit trickier, totally still worth it and would 100% recommend doing the solo, but just be cognizant because you can over-contribute and then you will get penalized. I'm not exactly sure what the penalty is, but it's probably not something you want to deal with. So what if you don't necessarily have a W-2 and the side hustles, but let's say that you've got three different businesses and, you know, they're all making a decent amount of money. Can I open up three of these things? Can do I open up one at one company? Do I have to spread the money across the three? Or do you just have the one single solo 401k that all businesses can funnel into? 
That is a fantastic question. And the answer is you can pool all of your self-employment income from multiple businesses. So if you have a bunch of different partnership LLCs, you also are a sole proprietor, maybe you do consulting on the side. And you know, as long as you're getting, like I mentioned, on the K-1, you're looking at line 14A. If you are just doing this as a sole proprietor, you'll be looking at line 31 on your Schedule C. And if you have you know, multiple of these documents, these tax documents, you can basically pool all these together. Now, I guess another question that I get asked pretty frequently on this topic is, hey, I have these seven different businesses. Like what entity should I set up the solo 401k through? The answer is whatever business you make the most money with. And that's just a general good practice rule of thumb because make sure that whatever entity you set up the solo 401k through does earn active self-employment income. One mistake I almost made was setting up the solo 401k specifically through my like LLC that runs our rental real estate. Unfortunately, rental real estate is not active self-employment income. It is considered passive income. So in that scenario, if I'm earning zero active income dollars through that entity, I am not eligible to contribute to that solo 401k at all. So that's a caveat. It could literally be $1,000 that you earn, but a general good rule of thumb is like, pick whatever one is going to have the most longevity, pick whichever business you have that is making the most money because that's probably the least likely to dwindle in the future. Therefore, kind of making your solo 401k ineligible for contributions because that entity that opened it is no longer making self-employment income. Long-winded answer, but hopefully that makes sense for people who are thinking about doing this. Appreciate that, Cody. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I was just curious if you were having to kind of manage multiple of these things. No, and I think you'd be breaking some tax rules too if you're, you'd have to be really careful about making sure that you're not over-contributing. So it makes it a lot easier having that one solo 401k account. Okay, so here is my favorite part about the solo 401k. And this is why I ended up kind of going with a non-traditional company. You can open a solo 401k with, I know Vanguard does it. I'm not 100% sure. I think Fidelity does it as well but they do not allow you to kind of invest in some of these alternative investments. So the reason why I went with that company, mysolo401k.net, is because you can basically invest in anything within that solo 401k entity. So I'm talking real estate. I'm talking, you could be an angel investor for different companies. You can buy you know, cryptocurrencies. Like there's literally so many things you can do within that solo 401k. And actually quite recently, there was an article that surfaced about Peter Thiel, who was an early investor and co-founder in PayPal. And basically what he did was invest in PayPal through one of these vehicles, like a Roth solo 401k. And like a Roth, like many of us know, just a regular Roth account, those earnings are tax-free forever. So you put $10,000 in and you find the next Amazon, you know, good for you. And those shares turn into $5 billion. You owe $0 in tax with our current tax code, which is one just absolutely nuts to me, but hey, we're playing within the rules, might as well take full advantage of them. And so yeah, you can buy anything. So my plan right now is to purchase real estate, like I could literally do flips within my solo 401k. Once I build up enough money, I could you know, maybe get some money from a hard money lender to fill the gap of what I don't have to buy this real estate. It is a little bit nuanced with real estate, you probably won't be able to get traditional loans because the solo 401k entity is the one buying the property and there's really nothing backing it. So it's like pretty much completely uncollateralized. But there is just so many different things you can do with the solo 401k. And that's why I was so intrigued. That is kind of my plan. I'm hopefully going to do some flips in the solo 401k, hopefully buy some rental properties within the solo 401k. And with those, let's say I buy a property for $100,000. I use solo 401k funds. And that's important to use solo 401k funds and keep everything within that solo 401k entity. If you start to cross mingle stuff, not good with the IRS and you might get in trouble. But let's say I buy a property, 100K, I put 20K worth of repairs in it with my solo 401k funds 
end up flipping that property for 200K, you know, I make an 80K gain. I don't pay a dime on the sale of that property, which is just crazy. It's like 1031ing, but a million times over. You can do as, as many times as you want. Same with rental properties. I could have 10 rental properties owned by this solo 401k entity, and none of that rental income is taxed whatsoever. And same thing with the Peter Thiel scenario. I could invest in a bunch of startups. I could invest in something risky. And if it blows up, I don't pay a dime in capital gains. So that's ultimately why I went with the solo 401k. It's a really cool way if you're self-employed and if you check all those boxes to start to dabble in some stuff that you might not be able to in some of these more traditional accounts. So Cody, if somebody wanted to try to do this and they, like I said, they have the normal W2 job, they don't really have any interest in having much of a legitimate business, maybe something just super, super small that they can technically call business. And all they want to do is feed money into this after-tax piece. Would that give them an avenue to be able to invest in some of these kind of boom bust type investments that could turn out really well for them and avoid paying the taxes? So let's say they got their normal stable W-2 job. They've got little some little side hustle that's making $15 a month. Who knows? But they create this solo 401k and they just start feeding the after-tax part. Is that a, is that a method? That could be a method, but in the scenario you just outlaid where they're making 15 bucks a month, they're going to end up with a whopping $180 in their solo 141k by the end of the year. But I thought the after-tax part wasn't tied to how much money you made. It is tied to how much money you made, but it's not like a percentage, like if you're doing the employer contribution. Okay. So that's a, yeah, that's right. Yep. You're right. I messed that up earlier. I'm glad I asked. So it's not a percentage, <laughs> but it is still that dollar value. So you got to have the amount that you would want to invest. Okay. Got it. But let's say you're doing a side hustle, like even dog walking, babysitting, whatever that you run, you do have to pay taxes on it. So big cognizant of that. Don't be doing <laughs> like babysitting, for example. I know a lot of people are probably just doing that for cash under the table, not reporting that the IRS, but any self-employment income at all. This could be an Instacart, delivering groceries, Rover, walking people's dogs. It could be working on care.com as a babysitter or like any of these hot hustles, freelance writing on Fiverr, whatever. As long as you're reporting that on your self-employment taxes on that Schedule C line 31, it is eligible for solo 401k contributions. And, you know, again, be cognizant that if you are contributing in a traditional W-2 job, that you don't go over the employee contribution limit, the 19.5 in 2021. But you can use those voluntary after-tax buckets, which is just a really cool thing to get money into this different vehicle, the solo 401k, where you can start dabbling in maybe some more risky things just because you'll never have to pay tax on it. Well, Cody, I think this has been an awesome episode and there's still obviously like so much more that people can learn. Also, I want to be cognizant of like a lot of times we were talking about just Roth today or, you know, maybe we didn't talk about traditional too much. My two cents is never, ever, ever take absolutes from anything you hear. So if somebody says Roth is the only way to go ever, that's not always true. Think about things like Roth conversion ladders. Think about how much money you make now versus in the future. Like there's just so much more things out there you can research. So just kind of research, you know, the pros and cons of traditional and Roth. Research things like Roth conversion ladders. Research the, you know, the age time limits on different accounts. Do your homework because there is unfortunately a lot of nuance in the United States tax code. Couldn't echo that more, Justin. I think it's so important to go in and do your research. Obviously, we're talking about our specific situations here, what's working for us, what we figured out, but everyone has a different situation. People might have different structured businesses. People have different employers. So, you know, if you have an S Corp or a C Corp versus a partnership LLC, like that makes a big difference for contributing to your 401k and you have to understand those rules. If you don't have a company that allows for the in-service transfer, then, you know, that's something that you have to consider. So a lot of nuance here, but Hopefully you got a lot of value out of this episode. 
If you want to check out the show notes where we're going to drop a bunch of helpful links and stuff where you can do your research, learn more about this, hopefully implement this into your own financial strategy, you can find all of that at thefiveshow.com slash 401k. That's thefiveshow.com slash 401k. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefiveshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefishow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.